Since the work of Linda Babcock called Women Don't Ask, we hear a lot about women's negotiation capability or otherwise. Well, there's some really interesting research out there to show how women can be more successful in negotiation. And actually, maybe the world is more negotiable than we think. Hi, I'm Penny DeVolk. Welcome to Grit in the Oyster, a podcast offering insights for women leaders. Why grit in the oyster? Well, because an oyster makes pearls from a foreign object or irritation. And that's often how we can feel as women leaders in organizations today. The trick is not to get spat out, but to grow into that natural gem. Through conversations with leaders and experts in the field of women in leadership, I hope to offer insight and inspiration as well as practical advice, helping you navigate those grit in the oyster moments or times in your career. It's an opportunity to reflect, to step out of the fray, to tune out some of the noise, and tune into being the best leader you can be. It's my pleasure to be speaking today to Mara Olikins, Professor of Management at the Melbourne Business School and an honorary professor in the Melbourne School of Psychological Sciences at the University of Melbourne. She's a past president of the International Association for Conflict Management and a past chair of the Academy of Management's Conflict Management Division. Mara is a fellow of the Academy of Social Sciences Australia and is also a fellow of the International Association for Conflict Management. Her research focuses on the process of negotiation. In particular, she investigates how the social context within which negotiations occur influences negotiators' strategies and outcomes. Her recent research has investigated how gender shapes what happens at the bargaining table. Mara is published extensively in leading international journals, and in July of this year, she will publish a co-edited volume, Handbook of Research on Gender and Negotiation. A very warm welcome, Mara. Thank you for having me speak. (laughs) Well, thank you for calling in from Melbourne, Australia. I'm wondering if I could ask you, Mara, to start off with telling us your story as a successful woman in the field that you're in. about your personal and career story? I'm not sure that there is anything exciting to say. I was reflecting on this after you said you asked me this Mm. question. And it seems to me that the hallmark of an academic career is persistence and resilience. Um, that it's a career that has many, many setbacks and this becomes actually pertinent to a patient about women in negotiation. And I think we all learn to push through them. And one of the reasons we learn to push through them is that we've chosen to do something that we're passionate about. So I think at the heart of, you know, at least my success is being passionate and being supported by an amazing network of scholars who have, you know, coached and mentored me along the way over the years. I was also going to touch on how I started researching this topic of gender and negotiation because I was for many years quite resistant to the idea of looking at gender differences in negotiation, partly because all of the early research failed to reveal any differences. It's quite clear now that we're asking the wrong questions, but um, it's my interest was peaked on a long-haul flight. I was flying to a conference um, in the US and I happened to have with me um, Linda Babcock's book, Women Don't Ask. Mm, Yeah. And 14 hours of reading about many ways in which women are disadvantaged in negotiation 
fuels a certain amount of rage and passion, I have to say. <laughs> yep. And uh, <laughs> yes, it. Uh, so I got off the got off the flight at the other end, determined to try and get a better understanding of women sometimes work against themselves in negotiation. And I guess that was coupled with an insight that I had had not that long before reading the book. And this is a turning point that a lot of sort of mid-career or senior women talk to me about when I run negotiations workshops, Mm. which is that for a long time in the workplace, you really do think that everything that comes to you or doesn't come to you is down to your skills and abilities and your competence as a professional. Mm -hmm. Um, And there is a moment for many women, a moment where something happens and the only possible explanation for that something is that it's because you're a woman. Yeah. And it kind of crystallizes, gives you perspective, not just on that event, but sort of retrospectively reframes many of your earlier workplace experiences. And so I think it's interesting, this description that I hear from a lot of women, that you know, there's this revelatory moment when all of a sudden they think to themselves, oh, yes, gender does play a role in this after all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as you say, the... The research that you were doing, I mean, a lot of the work that Linda Babcock did around women don't ask, a lot of that landed on women going, oh, gosh, I just have to be a better negotiator. Um, And, you know, it just must be me. And we know as leaders, we negotiate constantly for resources, for roles, as you say, not just for pay, but for our organizations, for our people and teams. But your research really identified challenges in negotiation that went beyond just women don't ask. What are those, those challenges in negotiation unique to women? Yeah, so uh, the interviews that we did with uh, women talking about the challenges that they face, I identified one cluster of challenges which are not unique to women, but which I think point to the need to just build confidence. And they're around better understanding the negotiation process, better understanding how to plan for negotiations and just the basic mechanics of undertaking negotiation. Mm. Um, But the challenges that we were particularly interested in are the ones that women face. So three things that sort of came up as themes in our interviews. The first was this tension that women between preserving their relationships and being liked and the need to self-advocate. So we know from sort of much broader research on gender stereotypes that for women there's a trade-off between being perceived as competent or being perceived as likeable. It's Mm -hmm. either or for them. It's not either or for men. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the reasons that it's a challenge for women in negotiation is that the skills that are seen as traditional negotiation skills, which I'm going to call old school negotiation skills, um, very much align with male gender stereotypes. And so women are violating expectations of their sort of relationship orientation and warmth when they embark on negotiation and that incurs backlash. So a big question for women is how do I protect my relationships and Mm -hmm. still move ahead and get what I want? Um, The second challenge that they talked a lot about was managing emotion. And there were two aspects to that. One was the anxiety that they experience approaching negotiation. And this is also quite interesting because there's some evidence that men also report kind of anxiety approaching negotiation or during negotiation, but they're better able to push through it than women. So for women, that that initial anxiety is sufficient to prevent them from 
even initiating a negotiation. So that's kind of one aspect. The other aspect is the need to manage emotion during the negotiation. So it seems that women, women we talked to reported experiencing quite a high level of frustration when things didn't go their way, when they thought they'd made reasonable requests um, mm. that were rejected. And so they felt that they were then kind of disproportionately angry and that spilled over to affect the negotiation. Okay, so in, actually um, in the moment at the table, they it was about managing emotions, yes. not just not afterwards yes. thinking uh, that wasn't as successful as I had hoped. No, yes, there is an afterwards component as well, but certainly in the moment at the table, um, managing their owners, their frustration and their anger, and also managing the emotions of the other person, mm. whether they were genuine or more often strategic. And then the third piece to this is what happens after the negotiation, which is where the resilience piece that I'm interested in yeah. um, comes in. So what happens when you encounter setbacks? What happens when you walk away and, as you say, think, gosh, that didn't go as well as I had hoped? So, again, women identified, firstly, the need to persist in the moment in negotiations and not really knowing how to push through those setbacks in the moment. But they also... You know, talked a lot about walking away from the table, feeling somewhat unmotivated or demoralised, not wanting to go back and restart the negotiation, even though they realised they had not left with the best possible deal. So there's an assumption that, you know, it, it just wasn't successful as opposed to just what, what did I learn about my counterpart in that, that I might need to get yes. get back in there yeah. and and but this wasn't necessarily yes, exactly. the experience yeah. of men i mean you did say that men have anxiety before negotiations um, but is that do they feel that it's sort of a different kind of threat than the women do well i think they're just more willing to push through it so we didn't mm. interview men we only talked to women but other research suggests they're more willing to push through it and one reason for this might be that it's a lesser valuative process for men. They, their identity is maybe not quite so bound up with getting good outcomes. It's more of, it seems to be a game. You know, I get it or I don't, but at least I made the ask. Um, and it's not a comment on me as a person or my skills and competencies. It's just, you know, I asked, I was successful, I wasn't. Right, um, so it's not taken quite as personally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think is that it takes a lot longer for women to make the ask in the first place. So men negotiate a lot more, they negotiate more frequently. Women are more inclined to think that if they're doing well and they're competent and they're performing well, they should, that should be recognised and rewarded without them having to ask. So by the time they come to asking, they're in a different mindset to the mindset that men might bring to the negotiating table. Right. So they're already in the place that, you know, if, I, if this doesn't, if my ask isn't acknowledged, then that will be unfair and they will take that and, and therefore I'm yes. not valued. So they will be coming, they will be making different assumptions. So, so why, why is it that women don't ask as readily as men? Is it because they've just learned that they do ask, they don't get, or, or they're anticipating that pushback for self-advocating or asking assertively or being penalised? I think that's part of it. Um, you know, I think from a very early age, you already see that sort of difference um, in 
other, other orientations. So women are encouraged from a very early age, even from the playground, to think more about their relationship other people's have this more communal orientation mm. um, where they're concerned not, not just about themselves but everybody who's in their circle and, and some of the thinking about these gender differences is that um, women see negotiations as potentially disruptive of future relationships right yep. whereas in see each negotiation as a sort of a single isolated event which has no repercussions going on into the future so um, even if they have a tough negotiation and even if they walk out of the room kind of angry with each other, that seems not in their minds to carry over into future relationships. Whereas for women kind of in moment and each negotiation within the context of a broader long-term relationship and so have a greater eye towards the future and how challenging um, a rejection or challenging a poor deal right now is going to affect the relationship and affect um, the, so what happens in the future and this is not because every time they negotiate they do erode a little bit of their social capital so they are seen as a little bit less likable um, and a little bit less desirable as team members it's not a bad intuition on the part of mm, women yeah to avoid negotiating yeah so when you say it erodes their social capital or as you say the the likability competence trade-off that women uh, need to navigate. Um, it doesn't do that for men by asking assertively? No. Mm. No, because um, asking assertively is um, congruent with male gender stereotypes. So when men ask assertively, they're just behaving the way that men are expected to behave. So mm. in this sort of model of gender stereotypes where men are not expected to protect relationships and in fact if they do anything that is sort of relationship oriented it gives them a boost so then they be, are perceived as both competent and likable mm. they don't have that sort of slight same trade-off that women have yeah so that there's an advantage for them to to work on the likability piece um and the communality piece yes. but there is really um yes. not an advantage they won't get penalized for it in the same way that women will be acquiring masculine attributes in their leadership exactly are these gender stereotypes changing at all, Mara? You know, because we have been speaking about these things and women have been in leadership roles for several decades now. Is it shifting? I don't see a lot of evidence. I think on the surface, there's a shift in the way that we talk about gender and there's clearly a much greater recognition of the role that gender plays in affecting our humans and our perceptions. But, you know, as the work on unconscious bias highlights, these are very deeply rooted stereotypes and they're quite reflexive. Mm -hmm. So unless people pause to do a check before they act, stereotypes still pervade the way that we respond to men and women and their behaviour. So I think, you know, there's a surface change and we set, you know, better legislation to protect women and to protect them against discrimination. But... You know, at the heart of it, I think these, and as research shows us, as it continues to sort of pour off the presses, um, those gender stereotypes are still quite pervasive. Mm. Um, well, I guess they have been millennia in the making, so it's going to take more than yes, one they generation. Have been millennia to, in the making. Mm. 
so, so how can women overcome the challenge of needing to not be too nice as per our gender roles and not ask clearly or too assertive and then being judged and penalized for being aggressive, both of which can really undermine the impact as a negotiator? Yes, I think there are two pieces to this. Um, there's, there's the actions that women can take, um, mm-hmm. but there are also the act- actions I think that organisations can take because I, we need to see this as a sort of, you know, a systemic problem. There's been you know, a lot of emphasis on fixing women mm-hmm. and in a sense this is e- it's a lot easier to think about how women can shape what they do and I will talk about that in a minute. But um, the other thing to think about is what organisations can do. And what I what find interesting is that a lot of this research and a lot of our thinking about why women are disadvantaged in negotiation is because we think about what makes for an effective negotiator in a quite old-fashioned way. Mm. So, you know, what I, what I think of as old-school effective negotiation are all of the characteristics associated with male stereotypes being assertive and rational and dominant mm-hmm. and ineffective negotiation, negotiation as being um, associated with the female stereotype of being more emotional and accommodating and submissive. But in fact, if we look at where negotiation research is now, and what we might think of as the new generation effective negotiator, then all of the competencies that we talk about when we talk about mm-hmm. effective negotiators now are actually women's competencies. It's all yeah. about perspective taking and concern for the relationship and a commitment to fairness and a perception that we benefit when, we're, when we look at this as a joint problem. Mm. And so I think there needs to be, in the bigger picture, a shift in how people think about negotiation because we know that um, as soon as we prime a problem-solving mindset. So as soon as we stop talking about negotiation, start talking mm. about problem-solving, mm-hmm. the um, gender disadvantage disappears. Actually, women do better under those circumstances because they have the skills to, and recognise they have the skills to problem-solve. So simply changing the conversation about what it takes to be an effective negotiator is one part of the puzzle. And mm. you know, while we're trying to do that, um, women can also... Um, help themselves. One of the because of the gender stereotype in play, um, and the expectation that women won't initiate negotiation any time that they do, comes as a surprise, and we we tend to start making negative attributions about yes. the person's yeah. intention. So, you know, a good way of just offsetting a lot of the negativity around negating is to. Um, signal that you intend to negotiate. So rather than, you know, walking into your manager's office um, and starting a negotiation, make an appointment and say, you know, I would like to talk about. So signal in advance that it's going Uh to be a negotiation, softens the blow. Another strategy that works quite well is to shift the attribution about the reason for negotiating. So a recommendation that a lot of researchers make is that if you can talk about how the negotiation is going to be good for the team rather than for you if you're managing team resources. If you, you know, go in and say, look, 
you know, I've been talking to my mentor and my mentor suggests that, that perhaps my salary isn't as great as it could be. So mm. you kind of shift the reason for the ask. That also mm -hmm. softens the blow. That's kind of a small-scale management of a large problem. Yes, it's, and it's so, that whole mixture, isn't it, of, um, well, obviously giving, giving women uh, great skills to be as skillful as possible at, at navigating that trade-off. And so enhancing her communal self by, you know, this is for my team or someone else has, has referenced or I've done, you know, data around salaries, etc. And when you said that, you know, sometimes signaling so people aren't sort of caught on the hop and maybe training managers to acknowledge that, you know, they, they don't need to go into reactive mode, that this is a woman coming in to negotiate with me and how am I responding to that? You started to talk about, um, you know, what organizations can do. Is this something that other leaders, men and women, um, because do women penalize other women for asking as assertively as men do? Yes, they do. Um, so there's no good news here for women, I have to say. But so my colleagues have done some research looking at what happens when women negotiate with women compared to when women negotiate yeah. with men. And we actually find that the backlash towards women is greater when they're negotiating with another woman than when they negotiate with a man. Right. And so what we've looked at is trust, and we see that women who negotiate with other women, when they violate stereotypes, lose a lot more trust than if they're negotiating with men. Um, and I think, again, that goes back to expectations gender stereotyped expectations of how women should behave. So it's, mm -hmm. it seems to be that it's a greater violation of expectations if woman to woman I'm asking for myself than if woman to man I'm asking for myself. Right. Um, which is, you know, an unhappy story for all of us. It's a very unhappy story. <laughs> so you talked about tr trust. How do trust, some of your research mm. talks about trust and first impressions and how that shapes negotiations. Yes. Is that gendered? It's gendered in some quite interesting ways. Women tend to overall be more trusting, but perhaps more worryingly, because women are perceived to be more trusting, other people at the negotiating table are more willing to exploit them and to deceive them, especially willing to take advantage of that mm. um, higher level of initial trust. Again, no good news. And I think um, the question about first impressions actually comes back to your earlier question about gender stereotypes. Those first impressions form very quickly and they often form on the basis of external characteristics in the absence of any other knowledge about the person. So when I walk into, go into a negotiation and I see a woman on the other side of the negotiating table, if I know nothing else about her, then all of the gender stereotypes mm, become in. dominant and I have a set of expectations uh, kick in in the same way that you know if I walked into a negotiation with you know a union leader and I knew nothing else about that person all of the stereotypes about what union people are like would mm -hmm. kick in and that then drives behavior and drives expectations about how people will act. I think there's one other issue that we haven't touched on that I think is worth mentioning because you know the more we practice and the more skilled we get the easier each negotiation becomes. So the more we avoid negotiations, the more those negative emotions and the anxiety right. builds up. So it is, yeah. it's important to push through that. And what I wanted to touch on was this, this last piece of the puzzle that we were at, um, which is this idea of resilience and bouncing back. 
So I also do work on um, resilience in negotiation and the idea that we need to learn to bounce back from small setbacks within the negotiation. Um, and it also goes back to you know, one of your earlier questions, how we frame what has happened in a negotiation. So it, I remember many years ago being on a conflict resolution training program. Yeah. And one of the sessions, the trainers talked about, you know, our response to conflict. So, you know, they talked about the idea that we can either sort of pull back from it, in which case we tend not to manage it very well, or we can embrace it. And, you know, their catchphrase was, you know, conflict, what an opportunity. Mm -hmm. And yeah, this is really the precursor to a lot of our, our ideas of resilience and positive thinking. Yeah. So they were quite forward looking in, in, in telling us to think in that way. Absolutely. Um, but, you know, there are a couple, yeah, there are a couple of things that, you know, happen um, when we have this sort of moment of anxiety, when we have, you know, when we experience emotions or we have strong emotions directed towards us and when we reflect back on our negotiations. So there are a few things to think about. Uh, the first is how we process the emotion, and particularly if it's coming from the other person. But mm. you know, we have two choices. We can go more deeply into our emotions, so we can you know, sort of dwell on progressively more on how we feel, or we can step back and we can think a little bit about what has triggered those feelings and what we can learn from those feelings. And yet we know... Um, sort of research sort of in the broader resilience literature that if we're able to distance ourselves from our emotions and try to understand what triggered them mm. or try to understand what triggered the strong emotions of someone else that we're negotiating with, it actually helps us to manage our anxiety and to sort of pre preserve a, a, a more positive emotional tone with, with, within the negotiation so we don't get caught up in the emotion. We can keep moving forward if we can understand what's driving the emotion. Yeah. Um, and the second piece of that is when we step back and reflect on the overall negotiation. So, you know, the negotiation maybe didn't go as well as I expected. I didn't get everything that I wanted. How do I think about that? So one option that I have is to engage in what resilience researchers call harm finding. So I can think about all the ways that I have been hurt by a poor outcome, everything that went wrong, um, how it didn't reflect on my skills and abilities, you know, how I feel undermined. So I can have take a negative backward perspective. Yes. And when we do that, it makes it harder for us to move forward, right? So it's actually much more damaging for us than if we engage in benefit finding. So if we instead, we look forward and we think, okay, that didn't go as well as I expected. And as you said, what have I learned about the other person? Um, what have I learned about myself? You know, how can I strengthen my negotiation skills going forward? And that kind of story, this um, benefit finding Actually, I quite like this idea that some researchers call it a redemption narrative. So you're taking <laughs> something that. that's yeah. bad and turning it yep. into good. And that being able to craft a redemption narrative yep. is, you know, it seems to be pivotal to people's ability to bounce back from fairly large adversities. So mm -hmm. I think you know, if we want to think about, you know, what we can do for ourselves in order to improve our negotiation and in order not to be affected by one bad experience is to try and put it into the bigger picture and to ask, you know, what can I learn from this and how can I improve? If this situation comes up again, what can I do differently? And so we see this as kind of an ongoing learning process. So that's at the core of not just learning about negotiation, but managing around resilience as well. That self-awareness, the ability, as you say, to step back and reflect 
uh, and distance yourself. So almost observe yourself and your triggers and what worked and what didn't. And also to not do that beating yourself up about something that uh, you may well have framed as a failure, but actually, um, you know, what, what did I learn from it? And then literally get back on, on the horse with your, you know, delightful redemption narrative. So those sort of frame it, reframing exactly. and, and <laughs> psychological sort of skills about our own selves are really, really important for people to keep practicing negotiation. Because as you say, if either of those things um, are not a skill that you have, then you will clearly avoid negotiating in the future. And then the lack of experience will just compound your your ability to negotiate and probably enhance your anxiety about negotiating. Exactly. So you, you're in a self-defeating cycle mm. at that point. Right? So great and advice yes. on so how to pull out of that self-defeating of, cycle. Yes. Easier said than done, I think. Mm. It takes work and practice to be able to craft a redemption narrative. Yeah. And, you know, this, this, but it's, it's, a, it's a skill in terms of our own self-management that we can deploy very broadly in our leadership careers uh, and not get stuck in the, oh, gosh, you know, everyone's out to get me or, oh, gosh, aren't I a failure, which, as we know, is, um, is not that helpful exactly. for people to, to use as a, as a model for learning. Yeah. So that learning to bounce back, really important. Mm. You were talking, Mara, about what organizations can do. So clearly, this is not about fixing women, but it's about understanding uh, what we need to navigate and becoming skillful in that, including our own self-management. What have you seen really work for organizations? I'm typically, I'm more focused on the people side than the organization side, mm. but I can talk a little bit about what we've learned from our research and Great, from research more generally. So going back to this idea that um, a problem-solving orientation fits a lot better with mm -hmm. women and women's competencies, what we see is that it's easier for women to negotiate without backlash in organisations that have a more sort of collaborative spirit. So the difference, I guess, that I would draw is between um, public and private organisations. So often right. organisations that are not-for-profits tend to have a more communal relationship-oriented spirit or culture to them okay. and that actually is more supportive because it, um, it already signals that the kinds of skills that are appropriate in our interactions with people including negotiations are the skills that are women's competencies so there's more support for this idea of um, problem solving perspective taking fairness in the very big picture can ask themselves is the extent to which their cultures are signaling a, a sort of winner takes all approach as opposed to we're in this together and together we benefit approach but within that they can also establish frameworks that help women so we know that women particularly in salary negotiations the difference between men and women is can be eliminated if women know what to ask for mm. so if there is transparency about you know salary and employment conditions then actually the gender gap completely disappears. Um, similarly, if organisations can signal times when it's appropriate to negotiate, again, if we're thinking about salary negotiations, it takes the surprise out of those negotiations because yeah. there is a mechanism that triggers the negotiation, which is external to the woman. So in the big picture, 
it try and change shift the culture of the organization more challenging in the small picture they can put in place some of these structural very simple structural conditions that signal when it's okay to negotiate that make it clear what is negotiable and when i talk about that component of what is negotiable i remember a few years ago running a negotiation skills workshop and uh, one of the people at the workshop was a human resource director for a large organization and so she had me come and run some workshops with the women in her organization and she said the task that she gave me was this she said when men come in to negotiate with me they have a list of negotiable items which is you know four or five times longer than the list of negotiable items that women bring with them when they come to negotiate with me what i want you to do is make sure that that list is the same length as for men right okay and That's so it's just, an interesting approach yeah <laughs> it is well it's it just it's kind of a it was a very intuitive yeah. recognition of it's symptomatic of, it's signaling something the world is negotiable than men. Mm -hmm. mm, yeah so they just see less of the world as negotiable than men and there are just a lot of things that they perceive as being fixed and not negotiable which actually are absolutely mm. negotiable um and so do we have time for a short story i can talk about absolutely experience yes you know i was working my way towards my perfect office which i finally got mm. um and so which was great it's, it's actually quite a large office it used to be a two singles that had been at some point converted into a much larger office and I was in a meeting which was discussing the sort of renovation of the floor that my office is on. And I actually wasn't paying a lot of attention because I didn't think I would be affected. And at some point, my dean said, oh, by the way, Mara, that wall that's running through your office, don't worry about that. We decided not to do that. <laughs> okay. So there had been some thought that, <laughs> right. And I kind of, you know, reacted with surprise and shock. But what was, what's interesting in this story is that one of my male colleagues looked at me absolutely perplexed and said, but surely you negotiated the size of your office and had it written into your contract. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you just looked like the size of my office and my contract? Yeah, exactly. That's a lovely yes, so story. So yes, I mean maybe the world is more just, negotiable than we think. Yes. It is much more negotiable. And I would say that, you know, in running these workshops for this organization, the last session of the day was simply a 45-minute brainstorming session where I had women in small groups uh, brainstorm everything that could be negotiated. And what was quite interesting about that was that each of them had a very short list, mm. but each of them had a different short list. Wow. So put together, they were able to generate a list that was probably longer than the men in that organisation could generate. And I guess the other story that comes out of those workshops, which I think is quite illuminating in terms of how women think about negotiation, is that this was um, a group of academics and one of the women on the program said that she knew that she was getting paid a lot less than a male colleague who was probably, I would say, at best, her equal in terms of their career and their sort of research records and all the things mm. that contribute to salary. Um, 
she said, I'm okay with that because, you know, my job gives me great flexibility. Mm. Um, you know, I, I need to pick the kids up early. I can leave early. I pick them up, you know, I do the kids' dinners and then I can sit back down and finish off my work day when they're in bed. Yeah. And she was very grateful uh, for that. So, so she was prepared to trade off salary. Conversation that. About that. Well, she was, but no one knew that she was doing that in a sense. Right. So I think there was, you know, some lingering resentment because, you know, she had not said to her head of department, look, I know I'm getting paid less, but because I have flexibility, I'm willing to get paid a little bit less. Mm. Um, so she was, in a sense, making concessions to him that he was unaware of. He, he just saw someone who was willing to accept, a, you know, a poorer outcome. But also, you know, if we stop and think about it, in an academic environment, we all have that flexibility. Mm. But not everybody kind of sees that it's necessary to accept a lower salary for it. So I just mm. think there's a different way of thinking about these things. And there is that certain gratitude um, that, you know, my job gives me this flexibility without me having to ask for it. So, okay, um, I'm going to sort of accept that I get paid a little bit less as a result. Mm. And uh, yeah, actually, interestingly, I just saw um, an article this morning, gratitude tends to lead to you being exploited. Yes. Yeah. Don't ever be too grateful. <laughs> <laughs> How interesting. So there's also just this sort of mental trade-off we're doing all the time about uh, that can be, again, quite diminishing of us. I loved your yes. advice as well about do, do your research because unless there's some dissatisfaction in our hearts, um, you know, that's not going to fuel our courage when we negotiate. And uh, I certainly see a big shift in women when, they, when there's transparency in terms of uh, pay, pay rates and suddenly realise. Yes. Uh, and then their, their sense of fairness and being, uh, and being valued kicks in. And that certainly does seem to uh, generate, uh, you know, that dissatisfaction with, which fuels uh, their desire to negotiate. Mara, it's been such a pleasure to meet you. This is such an interesting, important and complex story about women asking, you know, because right back to the Linda Babcock work about women not asking, you know, some of the interventions have been, well, let's just teach women to ask. And it's a much more nuanced picture than that. And what I really love is the way you have looked through the lens of persistence and resilience and the emotional response we have in the moment and after and how really important and practical your advice about how we manage ourselves and how we manage our thinking uh, can make sure that we get back on that horse and get more and more experience negotiating and ultimately more and more confident with it. Mara, it's been such a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for the work. I look forward to your book coming out, The Handbook of Research on Gender and Negotiation in July 2020. And um, thank you for calling in from Melbourne, Australia. And uh, once again, thank you very much, Mara Olikin. See you. Thanks for listening to Grit in the Oyster. If you're enjoying our conversations, do subscribe, rate and review us on your podcast platform and join me again soon. You can also find more information and resources on building your best leadership self on pennydevolk.com, including my blog that covers topics from how to negotiate powerfully as a woman and building your authority through to having your voice heard and boosting confidence, all in support of building your leadership career.